So today is going to be a little bit of review and preview. So one of the things that I got to do that I don't always get to do, typically getting ready to teach and then bring the Word on Sunday and enjoy that, and then by Monday I'm starting to think about next Sunday. But this week I was able to just break my week up into three sections, so I try to spend the first portion of my section just meditating and just kind of getting myself before the Lord, abiding, I'm talking a lot with Him. And then the second part, think about my family and what the Lord has for us and how He wants me to shepherd my family and some things we have to look forward to in this upcoming year. And then the last part of my time I spend thinking about you, my church family, and what the Lord has uh, for us. And so in this first part, I, I took Psalms 111 and 112 and just spent a lot of time meditating and thinking through and praying through these two passages. And as I then jumped into thinking about my family, I spent some time in Ephesians chapter 5, and that was really good, just praying through that passage for my family. And then for us, I started getting into the book of Nehemiah. We're going to talk about that. And just thinking through what the Lord might have for us. And this these consistent themes kept coming up all through my time. And so what I want to do is just encourage you by taking a look back through Psalms 111 and 112 together. Um, very powerful when we consider them together. And then that's going to blend into Nehemiah and kind of give you a preview of what's coming up in the next year. One of the other things that I did, and I gave this out to some of uh, the men this morning at our study. By the way, if you weren't there and you want one, I have this little copy of a letter that was written by Martin Luther, the reformer, to his barber in fifteen, the mid-1500s, 1535, I think. He was known as a man of prayer. He spent three to five hours a day to start his day in prayer. And his barber knew that Martin Luther was a man of prayer. And so while he was cutting his hair one day, he said, could you, could you teach me to pray? So Martin Luther said, yes, I would love to do that. And so he wrote him a letter. And I've been using this letter that Martin Luther used to teach his barber. His name was Peter. So he writes this letter, A Simple Way to Pray to Peter the Barber. And one of the things he encourages him to do is to take a passage of scripture and then to use what he calls a cord of four strands to think through the passage first by way of instruction. What is the Lord saying to me? What is he saying about himself? And then what's my response to him? What is he calling whoever's reading this passage to do? And then secondly, the second cord of this four strands is thanksgiving. Once we know what the Lord says, we give him thanks for his truth that he's given to us and that we're able to understand it. Then third is confession. The third strand is confession. Confessing, Lord, in what ways do I not live this out? And then the fourth is actually finally getting to prayer. And so as I was doing that and working through these passages, this reality of thanksgiving came over and over and over. And if you, maybe some of you have used this acrostic before that some, somebody has taught you about prayer. It's 
acts, adoration, confession, thanksgiving, and then supplication. It, it rearranges the thanksgiving and the confession. Confession comes first and then thanksgiving. But as I was reading and um, studying, I really think that Luther has it right. We hear the word of the Lord and thanksgiving comes before confession. And as we see, that's the way that it happened in the book of Nehemiah. But that idea of thinking through that was super helpful for me as I jumped back in to a study we did two weeks ago on Psalms 111. At the heart of Luther's structure of prayer is thanksgiving in response to the truth of God. At the heart of Luther's gratitude, at the heart of Luther's praying is gratitude. Which is interesting because really he's just pattering this whole thing off Jesus' prayer. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. So in Psalms 111, we were learning from David that he is just um, responding to the Lord for all the goodness that he had given him, the deliverance that he had provided for him from the two kings, you remember? And the psalm starts off with the intention of what he's going to do in the psalm. I will give praise to the Lord with my whole heart in the company of the upright in the congregation. Great are the works of the Lord, studied by all who delight in them. And then he goes through and says why the Lord is worthy of praise. He is full of majesty and splendor. His righteousness endures forever. He has caused his works to be remembered. He provides food for those who fear him. He remembers his covenant forever. He has shown his people the power of his works. He has given his people the inheritance of the nations. His working is faithful and just. His precepts are trustworthy. He sent redemption to his people. He has commanded his covenant forever. These are the things for which the Lord is praiseworthy. These are the things that he has done. And then at the end, we talked about this last week, there's a hinge verse in verse 10. At the very end of Psalms 111, he says this, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and those who practice it have a good understanding. And remember last week we said it's a hinge verse because Psalm 111 ends this way with this fear of the Lord, and Psalm 112 starts this way. So Psalm 112 says, right at the beginning, Blessed is the man who fears the Lord, who greatly delights in his commandments. It's this praising of the Lord for all of his goodness, for all of his character traits. And then this hinge, this reality of of praising him, of fearing the Lord, and then delighting in his commandments that makes the, makes the characteristics of the Lord manifest in the person who follows the Lord. It's this reality of fearing the Lord and delighting in his commandments that transfers the character of, of God to the character of man. Are you with me? And remember, we, dis, we dis, um, defined the fear of the Lord this way. This is in your notes. To be joyfully and gratefully consumed 
with the Lord. His attributes, His person, His character, and His works. And to live accordingly to the truth that, as God has defined it. And to dread living in opposition to Him and to His truth. And to delight in living according to the ways that God has designed life and relationships to work. That's what it means to fear the Lord. To be consumed with His character traits, His person, His works. To live according to truth as He defines it. To live in dread of living any other way other than that. And then to delight in following the way the Lord says to do life. And so this person who fears the Lord and who delights in his commandments is a blessed person. One of the guys that came out and spent some time with me when I was in the woods, we were talking about this passage. And we agreed together that fearing and delighting in the Lord does not mean having it all together. It means that that is my anchor point. And though I might waver and find myself all over the place, at the end of the day, I fear the Lord and I delight in His commandments, even when my choices sometimes might have me going in the opposite direction. Are you with me? Fearing the Lord and delighting in His commandments does not mean having it all together. Because I think when we read Psalms 112 and it said, and it says, This man, this person who fears the Lord and delights in his commandments, his offspring will be mighty in the land. The generation of the upright will be blessed. We think if I have it enough together, then my kids will be this way. It's not what the passage is saying. Fear of the Lord does not mean having it all together. But it does mean that we have the anchor point to which we constantly and consistently return. When we find ourselves out of line, what gets my life back in alignment is that the Lord is first in my life, and I believe that what He says is best, and I follow Him. It is the anchor for our soul. And we find out how this God-fearing, God-command-delighting people are blessed in Psalms 112. So the manner in which this God-fearing, command-delighting person is blessed is spelled out for us in Psalm 112. Their children and their children's children are mighty and upright and blessed. Wealth and riches are in their home. They have sightedness in unclear times. They are gracious, merciful, and righteous. Their souls are at peace. They're generous in their dealings. They conduct their affairs with justice They are not afraid of bad news. Their hearts are immovable and steady and firm. They distribute freely. They leave a legacy of righteousness and honor for those who follow behind them. And they're also unpopular among the godless. Right? Remember this? We talked about this. And so these blessings that are in this passage are a result of fearing the Lord and delighting in His commandments. If you want to obtain one of these characteristics on this list, 
you don't go after it like you're shopping for, at Menards. Well, I'd like a little bit of this. I'd like a little bit more generosity, maybe a little bit more honor. Put some heart steady in there, you know, take a little bit of that. It's not the way it comes. You won't get these characteristics in that manner. These righteous characteristics are only available as byproducts of something else. What are they the byproduct of? Fearing the Lord and delighting in His commandments. Do you want to have blessed children who are mighty? Well, then the answer is not to apply the techniques from the latest parenting book, although that sometimes has its place. The answer ultimately, if you want to have children that are blessed and mighty, is to fear the Lord and delight in His commandments. Do you want to be gracious and merciful and righteous? Do you want those characteristics in your life? Then fear the Lord and delight in His commandments. Do you want to be the person who people can depend on and have a firm heart that's unsteady and you're not shaken by fear? Then fear the Lord and delight in His commandments. This is a summary of Psalms 111 and 112. So on day two, the highlight of my time was praying through Ephesians chapter 5, verse 1 through 6, 4 for each member of my family. And what I found out when I was praying for this is that I realized that I was asking the Lord, really in summary, to help each member of my family to fear Him and delight in His commandments. So Paul says in chapter 1, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love. Ephesians 5 verses 1 and 2. Let there be thanksgiving, Lord, in their lives. Verse 4, help them to walk in the light. Verse 8, that they would discern what pleases you, Lord. Verse 10, that they would make melody to the Lord with their hearts, verse 19, and that they would give thanks always and for everything, verse 20, and that their obedience would cause it to go well with them and extend their life, chapter 6, verse 3. I'm asking the Lord for my family to fear Him and to obey His commandments. And this theme of delighting and thanking and rejoicing in the Lord as a means of blessing and righteousness. You hear me? This theme of giving ourselves fully to the Lord and delighting in Him and thanking Him and expressing gratitude and rejoicing as a means of blessing and righteousness was continuing to come through extremely clearly. So on day three, as I was praying for our church and talking with another couple guys that came out to see me, it is kind of fun to be out in the woods and then these guys, you know, come into the wilderness and then you're praying and studying and then they kind of, they leave. It's pretty magical. What I realized is much of our focus in 2023 
has been on foundations or absolutes, remember? It's the way we started January 1. We started back in Genesis, and we were talking about what are the foundations or the absolutes of our faith. From there, we went into the supremacy of Christ in the book of Hebrews, and then how we live out the supremacy of Christ in our own life through the book of James, remember? And then the power of his word and the necessity of it and the clarity of it to give us direction in our lives. And so this has been a major theme that's run itself through the course of our lives in, in, in 2023. As we've gone through these last several weeks in Psalms, I've gotten a lot of good responses from you guys just saying, man, this has been really helpful. And there's this outgrowth of gratitude and thanksgiving. And church, I really believe that the reason for that is because we have been spending our time living out Psalms 111. We've been thinking about the goodness and the works of the Lord. You with me? So we've been thinking about the Lord's character and what he has done for us. And then we come to Psalms 12 and the outgrowth of praise and gratitude and thanksgiving is a natural for us. So the reason some of you are saying, man, this has been really helpful is because we've been stirring up our hearts throughout the year by focusing on these profound and majestic works that the Lord has done for us. I think it's made the Psalms come alive for us. So as an outgrowth of where we have spent our year, again, I believe we're experiencing a strengthened sense of gratitude as we have been in the Psalms because we have done this on the heels of a year of considering the Lord's character, His work, His works and His deeds. So as we look to 2024, so this is the, this is the preview. And I will tell you, I'm super excited about the book of Nehemiah, okay? So I'm going to try not to give you all of it. So this is going to kind of be like a movie trailer, right? That's not going to spoil it for you, but get you excited about where the Lord is taking us. So as we look to 2024, we're going to be considering what does it mean to build upon the foundations that we've studied in 2023. In other words... 2023 was all about Psalms 111 and thinking about the character of the Lord, His majestic works. And 2024 is going to be about Psalms 112. What does the righteous man look like who's living these things out? We're going to be building walls on top of the foundations that have been laid. Walls of God's community, the structure of His church and the important doctrines of our faith. And so to that end, we're going to be spending some time in the book of Nehemiah, quite a bit of time, like 20-some weeks, 24 weeks, I think. And then we're going to be in the book of First Timothy. And then the men in the Entrust series in um, October are going to be helping us unpack the book of Galatians. And then we're going to be sp- sprinkling some psalms in throughout the year as reminders of our need to bring forth gratitude and thanksgiving. So in preparation for next year, I was reading through uh, the book of Nehemiah. And again, um, there's some pretty significant excitement for that. But I, I want to just take a minute to give us a bit of context. So Nehemiah sees that God's people 
had sinned, they've lost their way, and the culture had consumed and absorbed God's people. He realizes that that's the condition of what God would have called his kingdom, and he is broken and distraught that this is the condition of God's community and his people. Nehemiah, by the way, knows that this is the condition of God's people because he, and that this isn't right, that this is broken because he knows the word of the Lord. And he believes the promises that God has made to his people and that God is a covenant keeping God and he is going to make good things happen for his people and that these people are going to be on display for him and reveal his glory to the rest of the world and people are going to come into relationship with the Lord through God's people. And that's not happening at all. And Nehemiah spends days fasting and planning and praying about what to do. And so he rallies the people in Jerusalem to rebuild the walls again in the midst of much opposition to this job. They complete the walls. The people are gathered into one place. And Ezra, the scribe, priest, comes out carrying the law of Moses, the book of God. And Ezra ascends a special platform built just for the occasion of reading God's word. And Nehemiah 8.3 tells us this. The ears of all the people were attentive to the book of the law. Now added to this scene, picture this. Nehemiah steps in. Wait a minute, this isn't the way things should be. They rally the people. They rebuild the walls. The walls are finished, but the work isn't done. They build a platform. This is why we rebuilt the walls, and this is where we're going within these rebuilt walls, and here's how this is going to work. So he's standing on this platform, but around him there are also 13 men that are aiding him in both reading and teaching the word. So, the, so Nehemiah 8 continues, these 13 men, Levites, helped the people to understand the law while the people remained in their places. They read from the book of the law of God clearly, meaning with exposition, with explanation, and they gave the sense so that the people understood the reading, Nehemiah 8, 7 through 9. Through eight. Now here's verse nine. And Nehemiah, who was the governor, and Ezra the priest and scribe, and the Levites who taught the people, said to the people, This day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep. For all the people wept as they heard the words of the Lord. So here all these people have gathered, the walls have been rebuilt. Nehemiah, Ezra is reading the words of the Lord, to the people. Thirteen men are helping them. They're expositing the scriptures to help them understand the word of the Lord. And their immediate response is they begin weeping. We've blown it. We're not anywhere close to where we should be. This is not good for us. We haven't been doing it. We haven't been keeping the law of the Lord. And Ezra and Nehemiah stop them. 
There will come a time for confession. It's not time for confession. You heard the word of the Lord and you understand it. It's time to rejoice. Confession comes in chapter 9. Right now it's time to rejoice. You have heard the words of the Lord. Before they have even thought about obeying. Before they could conjure up their own efforts to do something. Before they were ever to any change, any behavior. Ezra and Nehemiah say, stop mourning. And give praise. And Nehemiah, who was governor, and Ezra the priest and the scribe and the Levites who taught the people, said to all the people, This is a holy day set aside for the Lord your God. Do not mourn and weep. For all the people wept as they heard the words of the Lord. They said to them, Go your way, eat the fat, and drink sweet wine, and send portions to anyone who has nothing. For this day is holy to our Lord. And do not be grieved, hear this, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. Church, in this context, while I'm sitting in the woods, thinking about the profound implications of what it means to give thanks to the Lord, and that fearing the Lord and delighting in His commandments makes all the difference in the world, this passage that I've seen on coffee cups and in Hobby Lobby and on t-shirts and all over the place. The joy of the Lord shall be your strength took on a profoundly new meaning for me. Because what they are telling the nation of Israel at this time, before you're able to do anything, what's going to strengthen you for the work that still has to be done is the joy of the Lord. You're not going to get these characteristics of a good parent <clears throat> and a generous money lender and a solid person who stands up in the community that doesn't come apart from a, the joy of the Lord. You with me? You don't get Psalms 112 without Psalms 111. For the joy of the Lord is your strength. So the Levites calmed all the people saying, Be quiet. Rob would have said, stop your blubbering. This day is holy. Don't be grieved by the word of the Lord. And all the people, verse 12, and all the people went their way to eat and drink and to send portions and to make great rejoicing because they had understood the words that we declared to them. So the word of God is read and it's explained to the people. And they begin to cry and their teachers say, don't cry, rejoice. Rejoice that you have heard and understood the word of the Lord. Rejoice in hearing God's word. Your strength is not in your potential to stop sinning.
You hear that? Your strength is not in your potential to stop sinning. Your strength does not come from, I think I can pull that off. I think I can do that. If I try hard enough, I can be this kind of person. If I just get the right people around me, I can do that. Your strength does not come from your ability to think you can pull it off. Your strength comes from hearing and loving the deeds in the Word of God. The joy of the Lord is your strength. The ability to live out Psalms 112 grows out of the reality of Psalms 111. Some things for us to think by way of application. I'm pulling from the last couple of weeks and bringing them forward because it's good for us to be reminded. The first thing I would put before us as we think about applying these principles is this. Gaze from Psalm 112 or make diligent inquiry upon the works of the Lord. Consider regularly the goodness of the Lord. And for sure, we should be thinking about the things that He has done that have been good for us personally. But more than that, we ought to be looking back to history and see the amazing things that God has done from the beginning of time that are tangible historical realities that He has worked that he has put in his word, that he has sovereignly preserved so that we could know them. So that he has put in the dirt of archaeological history to be dug up years later that says, the word of the Lord is true. Make regular inquiry upon the works of the Lord. And like we said at Psalm 111, the more you gaze the more you'll see. The more you look for the works of the Lord, the more you will find them. Conversely, the more you look for excuses, or you look for loopholes, or you look for, the, for where the Lord has not been good, you'll find that too. But rather, let us make diligent inquiry upon the works of the Lord. The more we gaze, the more we'll see. Also as a reminder from Psalms 111, be on the lookout for the Lord's redemption reminders. Remember this? Psalms 111 says, The Lord has caused His wondrous works to be remembered. He brings back to our memory the good things that He has done. And He regularly reminds us so that we see clearly the work of His hands. Regularly be on the lookout for the reminders of our redemption story.
Third, let's make fearing the Lord and delighting in His commandments the focus of our attention. If I'm doing this right, and the Spirit's at work, my hope is is that you should walk away going, my propensity towards self-improvement projects and self-help books or this, that, and the other thing, and trying to get myself need to die in light of just fearing the Lord and being enamored with His character and being in love with His majestic works and being afraid to live outside of His truth and delighting in doing His work and His will. My little tiny self-improvement projects need to pale in comparison to just gazing at the character of the Lord. Make fearing the Lord and delighting in His commandments the focus of your attention. And lastly, experience the joy of the Lord as your strength. Nehemiah and Ezra tell the people, the joy of the Lord will be your strength. The Lord's work, not your work, will strengthen your spirit. This is something that we don't do, we receive. The work of the Lord is done by Him. But it is our joy. And it is our strength. So gaze. Gaze upon the works of the Lord. Be on the lookout for reminders of His redemption. Make fearing the Lord and delighting in His commandments the focus of our energy and attention and experience the joy of the Lord as our strength. Father, thank you for the opportunity to hear and to be reminded of your word and for the good things that you have been doing all throughout history and the good things we see you doing here at Vine and Branch on a regular basis in our lives, in our families' lives. That does not exempt us from trouble or difficulty, nor does it mean that we don't have people that are struggling within our midst. But as Ezra and Nehemiah encouraged um, the people, there are people among you that don't have any. Share with them so that they too might rejoice. And so strengthen us to be looking out for our brothers and sisters that are around us as well, that we might share our resources in order to help them in praising you. So fill us with gratitude and joy for all your greatness to us, Lord. And we set ourselves apart for you now to be people who are regularly considering your majesty and your works and who put our hearts in a disposition of gratitude and thanksgiving. We commit ourselves to it again this day and for this week. For the glory of Christ and for our joy, we, we pray these things and we set our minds to them. Amen.